It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk. We are talking about the Heisman Trophy this morning. It's Nathan Baird along with Stephen Means from Cleveland.com, Doug Lamarice on sabbatical for a day or two, but he'll be back next week talking about the Peach Bowl with us and the Ohio State Georgia matchup. But a different Ohio State Georgia matchup in New York, Ohio State's CJ Stroud. Georgia Stetson Bennett are among the four Heisman Trophy finalists, along with USC's Caleb Williams and TCU's Max Duggan. And I was supposed to be in New York. I think Doug teased earlier this week that I was going to be in New York, but we changed plans, travel things, I had to get moved around. So I am not in New York. I'm sitting here in Columbus talking to Stephen, who's across town. And we're talking about C.J. Stroud, and there's going to be a larger context here in the second segment where we get into more of like C.J.'s legacy at Ohio State and how the Heisman plays into that, how the playoff is going to play into that, and just where he sits at this very kind of interesting, complicated, incomplete portion of his career. But talking about the Heisman up front, Stephen, you know, I was in New York last year, and I thought we got a good window into C.J. Stroud's personality a year ago. He was coming off of the Michigan loss. It was the second loss of the year. It took them out of the playoff. He, you know, he knows that he's now played his last game with Olave and Wilson. He knows that they're playing in this sort of like consolation bowl. I think you felt the kind of weariness of that whole situation on his face, in his voice. And um, I'm going to be curious when we start seeing video coming back from the interviews that are going on maybe Friday afternoon out in New York the vibe that we're getting from CJ Stroud, because we haven't talked to him since the end of the Michigan game. He was off doing files and stuff last week. We didn't do any Ohio state interviews this past week. We're going to hopefully maybe talk to him next week, but obviously when we saw him right immediately after the game, very kind of contrite and um, almost like a farewell message from CJ Stroud after that game. And then now you fast forwarded to another week and, they're back in it. They can go still win a national championship. And what is his mood going to be this year now that this this whole thing is still in front of him? The, the Heisman Trophy voting is done, and we know he finished in the top four. We don't think he's going to win. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But just how how different his uh, his attitude, his vibe might be now with still like this this opportunity in front of him to close his career in a different way. 
Yeah, it's pretty depressive two weeks ago after that game. It, it, it felt like everybody in that program was a little shocked by how that played out with him, Ryan Day. I think we talked to JT after that game as well. It just, that was very depressing. And then on sun, this past Sunday, when we got a chance to talk to Day after it was clear that they would make the playoff, I mean, it was almost like sec- he said it, a second life. It was like a jolt within, within the program and every, it kind of changed everybody's mood. I'm wondering if, you know, CJ Stroud will echo some of those sentiments with the way he deals with the media. Um, on Friday afternoon and even Saturday leading into the actual ceremony in itself. But I also wonder if last year it was more like, I'm just kind of sick of this. I'm over this. I'm, I'm, I just don't want to be talking to you guys right now. I wonder if this year it might not necessarily be the same approach, but it is a little bit more. I'd rather be preparing for Georgia because I'm trying to win a national championship. Even if I do maybe enjoy this a little bit more than I did last year, because there's something to at least look forward to after this. You know, I I feel for him a little bit because the whole process last year was sort of about loss. It was like, you just lost to Michigan. Mm -hmm. You lost what you wanted your season to be. You have already lost the Heisman trophy. You are not going to win the Heisman trophy. Bryce Young, your friend is about to win the Heisman trophy. Can we ask you some questions about uh, how good of friends you are with Bryce Young, who's about to win the Heisman trophy? It was a lot of that. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I think that Mm -hmm. that coupled with just a long season, it'd been a long year for the guy. I mean, um, these guys get a lot of accolades from us, from other people. So maybe, you know, how much sympathy do you want to give them? But, you know, the, the, the physical stuff he'd went through earlier that year, the mental situation that that caused him, um, then to come back and, and, and to think you've salvaged your year, your season, and then to lose it in the Michigan game. I just think you're right. I think he was a little bit over it that week and he wasn't like belligerent. I'm not trying to put that out there. Uh, you could just tell it was, he wasn't, um, he wasn't being like aggressive. It was just, you could, you can look at body language and the way that guys talk and see that it's like weighing on them, uh, in a different way than it was say Aiden Hutchinson, who also knew he wasn't going to win the Heisman trophy, but he's there celebrating what Michigan had just done and what Mm -hmm. Michigan still could go do. And now CJ Stroud gets at least half of that. He gets to now go be an advocate for, an Ohio state team that gets to take its shot at the King uh, in the first round of this in Georgia. And if they get past that, then endless possibilities in a national championship. It's new life, but also I think the very important point there is you're not asking, no one's going to be asking him a bunch of questions about Caleb Williams because he's wrapped up. Now we think Caleb Williams is going to win, but it's not this foregone conclusion of like, the other three guys are just here for pageantry. We know who's actually winning this award. There is a bit of suspense behind it that makes this weekend a little bit more interesting than in years, years past. So I, I, it's going to be interesting seeing what comes out in New York over these next two days. Definitely more suspense. And, and adding to that was the Home Depot Awards Thursday night where C.J. Stroud was a finalist for both the Maxwell Trophy, which goes to the best overall player in the country and the Davey O'Brien award, which goes to the best quarterback in the country. And often the Heisman trophy quarterback sweeps things like that. But there was a split last night. CJ did not win either Mm -hmm. one of them, but Max Duggan won the Davey O'Brien, which was very fitting because it was the first TCU quarterback to win the Davey O'Brien who played at TCU. So that was kind of a neat moment for them. And then Caleb Williams won the Maxwell, which I think is the one that, more 
precedes the Heisman, like more like hints at who might be the Heisman winner or is is considered the front runner. But the fact that that that, that vote got split tells you a little bit about how this isn't, I don't think, up in the air. I don't think all four of these guys are going or have an equal shot of winning. I am curious to see what the vote totals are going to be Saturday night and how close C.J. Stroud was compared to being fourth last year. That was the other thing. By the end of that weekend, when he found out he finished fourth, I think that was what had really kind of stuck in his craw because he knew he was a front runner going into the Michigan game last year as, as he was this year. I, I think finishing second or third is much more on the table for him this year. I think Stetson Bennett is probably the fourth place guy. But I'm I'm curious to see how this all shakes out numbers wise because it was a very hard year. I can tell you as someone who voted for AP All American, there were like and Doug already talked about this, I think, on the, the Rants pod maybe earlier this week, or maybe a Shahan and he talked about it on on Survivor Show. We do, that guy does so many podcasts. I, I can't I, I get them all mixed up. Uh so listen to them all. They're all good. But how there were like, you know, a dozen guys or more that you could plausibly think should be in the top three of the Heisman voting. Uh, but nobody that you felt super great about voting number one. So first of all, just to echo your point about the Maxwell Award in the playoff era, only one player who won the Maxwell Award didn't also go win the Heisman. And that was Tua in 2018. Kyler Murray also won won, on, won the Heisman. Everybody else won both. So, yes, that it usually is a good pretell. Caleb Williams also won the Walter Camp Award, which is just another mm-hmm. version of the Maxwell at this point. Uh, and then Max Duggan also won the Johnny Unitas Award, which goes to the senior quarterbacks, which I don't know why you need to have a distinction between senior quarterbacks and normal quarterbacks. But, okay, whatever. Everybody gets a trophy, apparently. I, I think... <laughs> I think there's going to be – I agree with the drop-off is probably going to be third and fourth is where you see the gap at. I am wondering what the first-place splits are going to look like between one, two, and three because I won't be shocked if – whoever wins it regardless, but I, I won't be shocked if Caleb Williams, Max Duggan, and um, C.J. Stroud all have a decent amount of first, second, and third-place votes. And it's just kind of like this person just accumulated more votes than the other two. And that's why he won this award. Because it honestly is that close. CJ Stroud's been the consistent theme all season, while Caleb Williams really just had a, a really good back half of the season. And Max Duggan, I mean, TCU was undefeated up until they decided not to keep the ball in his hands for a two-point conversion. So he's kind of the late guy to this party here who – basically replaced Hendon Hooker in this conversation if we want to talk about it that way. But I won't be surprised if it's that close. We've seen some runaway Heisman winners over the last couple of years. We haven't really seen a close race maybe since 2018 with Kyler Murray and Tua being that close to each other, maybe Dwayne Haskins as a distant third. We might see something similar to that, except it's three guys with a distant fourth. So Doug had a Heisman Trophy vote. I think he texted about this. Earlier this week when he was, I think they were due on Monday. I think he spent a lot of time Monday figuring out who he was going to vote for because he's a a diligent guy and takes those things seriously. And he can't reveal that vote before it's announced. That's like a condition for voting, but I'm sure he will tell you all, tell us all who he voted for after the fact. Uh, So Stephen and I did not have votes, so we can tell you who we didn't vote for, but would have voted for if we had a vote. and. Stephen, who was number one on your vote? We'll, we'll tell you who we would have voted for first, second, third, because that's how you vote for this. 
Yeah, Caleb Williams would have got my first place vote. It's just this award is so much about, I mean, they call it a Heisman moment for a reason. And these kind of things you can be remembered with when they're showing these Heisman highlights. And he, especially in that Notre Dame game and in that UCLA game, he just kept coming and coming and coming and coming and having those moments that the other two, whether it's because of the competition they were playing, the stages they were on, or just they just never had them. They just never had that opportunity. While Caleb, even in the game in the Pac-12 game, uh, championship game that they lost, I mean, his first big play, fifty-nine yard run, which I mean, Ohio State's been looking for a quarterback who could do that basically for the last two years. Here, he's he's got the moments. He's got the swagger that goes along with it. Plus, he was doing all this, and then he like did a Heisman pose after <laughs> the Notre Dame game, which always helps. But that combination of just what his numbers are, they're not freakishly great, but they're, they're Heisman-level numbers for a starting quarterback in that offense combined with just like what it looks like, what those numbers look like when you watch him in real time. That's it. He just looks like a Heisman Trophy winner in a way that the other three guys who are finalists don't look like one. So if you think Caleb Williams' numbers aren't Heisman-worthy, your problem is – that CJ Strouds aren't much better if you're someone who would advocate for yes. Stroud to win it. Stroud leads the nation in quarterback rating 176.25. Caleb Williams is fifth, 167.94. Both have 37 touchdown passes, although Caleb Williams threw 61 more passes. No, I'm sorry. Caleb Williams threw 93 more passes to get there. So that means something. That's what's reflected in that rating. But C.J. Stroud's yards per attempt, 9.4 to Caleb Williams, 9.1. They're almost exactly equal in completion percentage, 66.2 to 66.1. Heisman, basically, is that the huge statistical year that we thought might happen just didn't materialize. And some of that was just the style of, of game that happened over the course of this season. We thought maybe he would need to play four quarters against some teams that he didn't have to play four quarters against Wisconsin, um, Iowa, some other matchups. And also let's be honest. It didn't help that he couldn't just hit, you know, three or four times this year. If he hits um, Jackson Smith, the Jigba over the middle on a little crossing route that goes Mm -hmm. for a 65 yard touchdown or whatever, uh, it only has to happen a few times in a year to, to change your numbers. And I that, that that shows up here, I think, a little bit in the numbers. I voted for Caleb Williams also, number one. And part of it is that even if CJ has an edge statistically passing, as we just said, it's not a huge gap. Williams has a huge edge on him as a rusher. He does things with his legs that CJ Stroud doesn't do. And I don't think this is a – we're not going to relitigate the whole CJ Stroud as a runner thing. We've done that too much as it is probably on on here but i'm not necessarily holding that against cj stroud but you can't ignore it for caleb williams you can't ignore this other half of his game and most of the other quarterbacks who are in this conversation are use their legs more than cj stroud does so none of these guys went out and you know other than stetson bennett who has the worst statistical slash intangible case of the four finalists. Um, None of these guys actually went out and finished off a championship this season, other than maybe divisional championships. Um, And they don't even have that in either the PAC 12 or big 12 now. So that doesn't even count. Uh, They they didn't, you don't have a guy who's standing on a team accomplishment out of those three, only Stetson Bennett went 12 and 0 and then won his conference championship. So 
it, it kind of does have to come down to just a, a term that Doug has used before that really has made me cringe because I've talked about how much I don't really care for the way we vote and think about the Heisman. But trying to stay in the spirit, I'm setting that aside, setting aside my curmudgeonly anti-Heismanness, and just staying in the Very spirit Christmas of spirit of you. Yeah, exactly. Staying in the spirit of just <laughs> voting for the most Heisman-y guy. It, it's 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 a vague thing you're trying to to pin on right there. I know, but he feels the most Heismany to me, and that's why he got my number one vote. And I don't think that's even he's. I think he's going to win. So. I think it's more interesting maybe if we talk about our down ballot guys. My number two guy was Hendon Hooker. And this is where, again, setting aside my sort of wishing that we rethought what the Heisman Trophy was in some ways. If you're just picking who is the story of the football season, in a year where nobody finished off that story, really. Like you could say, well, C.J. Stroud, like the resurgence of Ohio State, if they'd beaten Michigan and gone 12-0, and like that's sort of the story of the season. Or you could say Max Duggan, if they finish that off and they're 13-0 and and they're the Big 12 champ, like that's a story of the season. All those guys have like pieces of the story but didn't quite finish it. Same with Caleb Williams and same with Hendon Hooker who uh, gets hurt. But even before he gets hurt, they're getting their butt kicked by South Carolina when he does get hurt. So that season had kind of fallen off of the, the Cinderella story. But – if we're just looking at the fragments, his fragment was pretty big. It was pretty significant. And it really did tell the tale. If The teams, we knew, we talked about before the year, that there was probably a team that would come out of nowhere and make itself a Heisman, or I'm sorry, make itself a national championship contender. Really, there were two. There was TCU and Tennessee. But I mean, in a, in a fragmented year where nobody really finishes off the story, to be undefeated and going on the road to Georgia as number one in the playoff ranking and then getting beat by Georgia in a, in a convincing way, but in a competitive way, like you were in that game. I think you, the Tennessee looked like it belonged on the same field in, in, in a big game with Georgia, at least um, that counted for something to me. And then we just make the statistical case is pretty impressive too. So he was my number two. I understand it. I think it has a lot of merit especially coming into that Alabama game because he had that stage. C.J. Stroud sitting at home after it's been in the first half of the year, being the favorite coming into the season and living up to that, even if you know he hadn't had a moment yet. It was He was just struggling along as normal. And now here comes Tennessee's this intriguing team now who hadn't necessarily played anybody, and then they smack Alabama around. So it's like, oh, wait, C.J., this is not going to be as easy as we thought it was going to be. Hendon Hooker has come to play. I think the problem with, the, with it is – Georgia's the only team who held them under 200 passing yards. It felt like Georgia figured them out, figured out Tennessee as a whole, which, I mean, it's the best defense, it's the best team in the country. So the best team in the country figuring out another team is not that crazy. But it felt like Georgia figured them out, and then South Carolina looked at that film and said, okay, we can beat them the exact same way, but also our quarterback's a lot more talented than, than theirs is, even if Stetson Bennett from a, a success, a accolade standpoint has more than what Spencer Rattler brings to the table. And it felt like from that Georgia game on, he lost steam in a way that yeah, even in a loss with Caleb Williams, Max Duggan, and C.J. Stroud, even in losses, they did their part. And it didn't feel like – even when you lose, when you're in these types of races, you still got to do your part from an individual standpoint. And that's how you get guys like Lamar Jackson who win it, even if their records are trash in comparison to some of the other guys they're finalists with. He stopped doing his part, 
And some of that is in the South Carolina game. He got hurt, but he got hurt at the end of the game. South Carolina was kind of shutting down Tennessee's passing offense for a lot of that afternoon, and then he gets hurt. And so it was a combination of, I thought he had the steam and then he lost it, but then you get hurt and now you're out of sight, out of mind, and you're a two-loss team who's not playing for a conference championship. So who is your number two? Duggan's my number two, and I think so much of his case is wrapped up in once Clemson lost, it felt like TCU became the undefeated team that everybody was waiting to get out of the way so that we can get the real ball teams back on in play here, and it never happened. And then the Kansas State game, when it's the Big Ten, Big 12 championship, and so the world is watching, we found out why. He's a really good quarterback, and I think it's been impressive to see TCU go from a team who was under 500 with him as a starting quarterback, under 500, and he doesn't even win the job in fall camp. He 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 just kind of fell right back into it after losing it in fall camp. I think that the, the original starter got hurt, um, if I'm not mistaken. But he's been chugging along all year like this, and it's almost a Caleb Williams argument here, except he's not Caleb Williams. So that's a, I think that's part of this. They have the same argument. They both can do it with their arm, but they both can also do it with their leg. And if TCU just puts the ball in his hands at the end of that game, he probably gets in there for that two-point conversion. TCU is still undefeated, which I don't know how much that matters. They still be playing Michigan in the in the college football playoffs, so it's not like you know a lot changes. Maybe they're two and Michigan is three, but they, I'm pretty sure they probably choose Phoenix. Any, they don't get to choose anyway because Georgia still chooses Atlanta. But it just felt like you felt him just like you felt Caleb Williams this season when everybody was watching, which is why I, for, they have to be the top two for me because you felt them all season, especially when they got on these stages when we all started paying attention to them. I think that's actually the best case I've heard yet, that you felt them all year. You felt them all the way through to conference championship weekend. And I think both Williams and Duggan helped themselves. We've talked many times about how if you can't get – if you're not on the stage – that last weekend, if you're not on conference championship, it's why we thought CJ Stroud wasn't going to win as soon as they lost the Michigan game, because you yep. don't get to make a final impression. You know, last year, not only did Bryce Young get to make a final impression, he made an amazing one by going and beating Georgia and pushing his team up to number one in the playoff ranking for the up to the number one seed. And uh, CJ Stroud didn't even get to play. And the same thing happened again this year. And I thought both Duggan and Williams help their cases in losses because they were out there like being real gritty and playing through injury and playing through being banged up and just kind of falling apart on the field, but yet going back out there and uh, it got away from USC more than it got away from TCU, which obviously went all the way to overtime and could have won that thing. But both I think helped themselves in the minds of voters. That's why I think that's probably going to be your one and two on Saturday night. I voted CJ Stroud third though. Mm-hmm. And I wanted there to still be a recognition of what he's done for the past two years. And when you are, as much as I made the case for Williams over him from a from a full performance standpoint, we need to still be able to recognize in modern football when there are guys who, as because of the, the function of their offense, aren't going to run the ball as much, when you're the national leader in efficiency rating and you're the national leader in touchdown passes and you're like right there at the top in yards per attempt. That means something to me. And I wanted there still to be recognition of that. Um, I would definitely listen to people who would vote for any number of people in front of him. Uh, 
Um, I think there are some guys, you know, Blake Horm among them who deserved to be higher than they were in the, I think he was like seventh in the voting, which surprised me a little bit, but again, it's yeah. a quarterback award that that's going to happen. I just think that CJ was deserving of that level of recognition that what CJ Stroud did this year, it can't, I don't think it can be, how much do we want to hold it against you that you met expectations? Like he didn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he, the statistically, his numbers aren't as good last year in some ways, especially the counting stats, because he doesn't have a 500-yard Rose Bowl tacked onto the end of it, for one thing. And through through 12 games, he only paid 11 in the regular season last year. It, it's not that different of a performance, really. So I, I think there needs to be recognition for that, that when you're when you in – in an era where we care so much about quarterback performance, when you're the most efficient guy and you throw balls that a lot of other guys can't, and that's what allows your receivers, a whole new group of receivers. He did this without Jackson Smith and Jigba, but he also did it without Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and came back and had another Heisman caliber year. That, all that, I think, just deserves some level of recognition. So as I was splitting hairs, that's how I came to my number three vote. Uh, he never did anything to win the Heisman, but he also didn't do anything to lose it. So, and that's, and that's, but that's why he's third, because there are two guys well, who did things to go out there and win it. He, I thought that. He scored three points in the second half against Michigan, and that's not all him, but it's part of your case. So yeah, I know what you're saying. He didn't do anything to lose it, but that's where he lost it. Like, that's where he lost a chance to win it. Yeah, 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 that's fair. I mean, all his entire Heisman case was going to be wrapped up in that Michigan game anyway, probably. But I think – for starters, his counting stats are different because his defense is better, so they didn't need that, to no, throw true. the ball deep yep. into the fourth quarter. <laughs> like we're go- I don't care who the receivers are. <laughs> if the defense wasn't as terrible as it was last year, they're probably not chucking it around 35 times a game the, the same way they uh, they were last year. I mean, they're pro- it's probably similar to this year where it's more like 26 or 27 throws a game because it's a more balanced attack because it can't be. So that, that has to be taken into account with his normal counting stats, which is why you brought up the efficiency numbers, how they're still similar, even if the, 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 the counting numbers are different. But – it's it's hard with CJ. I think he came in as a favorite, but we all knew it was going to come down to, okay, what does he do against Michigan? And in the meantime, just keep chugging along, keep chugging along, keep chugging along. And there are going to be some guys who you know pop up every so now and then who maybe provide to be real threats. And then Hooker did that early. And then Blake Horn popped up. Uh, uh, B. John Robinson had a moment there. I think he finished in the top 10 as well. Um, and then Caleb Williams and Mac Duggan came, came to play. But if she, if, Ohio State wins the Michigan game. C.J. Stroud is a trophy winner, and I think that was that was probably always going to be the case, regardless of what he did in the first eleven weeks of the season. He lost that game. He lost the award as well. I think that was maybe true last year too. Although Bryce Young did then get to go beat Georgia, and it would yeah. have at least I think he would have finished second last year at worst if mm-hmm. they had been able to beat Michigan. So let's transition from there into the bigger discussion after this break about where C.J. Stroud's legacy stands going into the Heisman Trophy announcement on Saturday night, and more importantly, the playoff beyond that. You're listening to Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So CJ Stroud's legacy has already sort of been a topic of conversation. He made it a topic of conversation as soon as he came into the interview room after the Michigan game and said, hey, I know that this is what people are going to remember me for. I'm going to have to live with that. It was a very, there was a lot of finality in that press conference that then a week later turned out to not have been that final at all because now he and Ohio State will be back on the field playing in the playoff in the Peach Bowl against Georgia. So there have only been two Ohio State players previous to this who finished in the top four of the Heisman Trophy voting. I'm going by what they have on sportsreference.com, but they have the actual votes all the way back to the first one, Jay Berwanger in 1939 or whatever that was. And technically, he's the first two-time finalist because they did not used to take guys other than the champion, other than the winner of the Heisman, go to New York. It's only been since 1982 that multiple guys have gone there for this ceremony. And so Stroud's the first one to do that. Uh, But only two before that had top four finishes, and that was Hopalong Cassidy, and I think it was 53 and 54, something like that, before my time. And Archie Griffin in uh, when he won it back to back in the seventies. So before that alone, yeah, also before my time, but not that far before my time. Well, I mean, it wasn't like I was 1978 following the Heisman Trophy voting as a four month old baby. But let's just talk about that. Where where does that accomplishment stand among Heisman among Ohio State players among Ohio State quarterbacks that you were able to be on the national stage? Back-to-back years at this level, um, you know, two different groups of competitors. You know, he's the only one that's going back for the second year in a row. Bryce Young won it last year. He's not going back this year as a finalist. Mm-hmm. So where does that put him in this conversation? Before we talk about anything else, how does that fit in to how you think or how we should think about C.J. Stroud? Oh, that's all. Loaded question, even though it's not intended to be a loaded question. It almost doesn't matter right now. Um, he's also he's second on both in both passing yards and passing touchdowns for mm-hmm. his career. And the only guy up in front of him is JT Baird, who had two extra years right. of playing quarterback here to even have those numbers, which shows you how ridiculous CJ Stroud has been here. He from a statistic, a talent, all that stuff standpoint. He's probably on the Mount Rushmore, our our Mount Buckmore of of Ohio State quarterbacks, but he's zero two against Michigan, and really the only big game he's won in his career is Penn State. He beat them twice. He beat them at home, and he beat them um, in a, um, uh, on the road as well, which is a quality win. I don't want to take that away from him, but he also lost to Oregon. Uh, he kind of looked weird against Nebraska. He lost to you know, Michigan twice now. And, I mean, I don't really count the Utah as a big win because it's not where they wanted to be for starters. And, two, he was throwing the running backs outside of Clark Phillips, which is why when he threw at Clark Phillips, he got picked off while he threw at everybody else. He threw for 500-plus yards. It's it's hard right now. It's He's got everything that you would ask for in a quarterback except the most important things because, unfortunately, a win-loss record matters for quarterbacks just as much as it matters for head coaches. So right now it's almost it's irrelevant that he's done all of this. Can that change over the next thirty days here? Next, you know, sure, just because of what might be on the table for him. But right now it's just stuff that is like 
you did all that and you still couldn't get done what was supposed to get done here. It's an incomplete legacy right now. And we're sort of Mm -hmm. taking the temperature of where it is right now. I think, though, the temperature is changing even just since the Michigan game by the fact that they're back. You know, now we know he's a Heisman finalist again. Now we know that Ohio State is playing in the playoff. And but we need to still talk about the Michigan aspect of it, because I don't think we've really done that on the pod. We did it sort of briefly after the game. But it was, again, so raw in that moment. To me, the more I've thought about it, it's one thing to be 0-2 against Michigan. I think it's another thing, though, to be 0-2. And I can't tell you what even like the C.J. Stroud moment is, good or bad, from the Michigan games that he mm-hmm. played, the two Michigan games he played. Other than maybe like, other than maybe the post-game press conference after this last one, that was sort of the moment that I'll probably remember the most about C.J. playing Michigan was the way he came in and spoke pretty eloquently about what happened that day, his career, putting things in perspective, saying goodbye at the time, even though he wasn't saying goodbye to his college career, as it turns out, he was saying goodbye to Ohio stadium and, and playing in front Mm -hmm. of those fans and, and, and conveying the disappointment that he felt in himself or for, on behalf of the team, for the fans, like those sort of things. But that's not what you want your legacy to be, I don't think, to be a sort of a concession speech or like this contrite postscript that you're writing in a, in a in an interview. I think you want it to be what you did on the field. And I don't think I don't this is oh man, it almost sort of just encapsulates what his career is at this point, because I don't think he's the reason they lost either of those games. Like his performance is not why they lost those games, but nor could he elevate them to winning those games, which is sort of how you judge true quarterback greatness. And we, I feel like we've had this conversation since his the first time he was a starter for Ohio State almost two years ago. Yeah. That, and it's both a it's both a really hard standard to hold guys to, and you have to make sure that you're saying he is a really, really, really good quarterback, depending on how you want to parse the language. But to be great. Maybe you had to find a way to win one of those games. Maybe you had to find a way to put a team on your shoulder, even though you're playing a great opponent, even though other things were going wrong, that that would have been the true measure of greatness, that you find a way to win one of those two games. So before we talk about what's next, like, do you feel like that is a fair way to sort of encapsulate these two seasons that have happened so far? Yes, even if it's, it's fair and it's unfair. It's fair because this is the reality. That's It's true. It's factual. What you just said is 100% factual. It's unfair because it's like, should we look at it like that? I don't. If you want to question that, that's what makes it unfair. It's he's I'm, Maybe this example makes sense. Maybe it doesn't. Dan Marino is one of the most talented quarterbacks in NFL history. But he didn't win anything. So when you start talking about the greatest quarterbacks of all time, his name doesn't roll off your tongue. The same way that, you know, the Tom Brady's and the Joe Montana's of the world and the Terry Bradshaw's of the world do. It's, it's just not, you're just not, it's not this, he's not in that class because he never won any of that stuff. But the problem is with CJ Stroud, what makes it so difficult when you say that he didn't elevate, but also he's not the reason they lost, is does any other quarterback do any better than what he did the last two years? Can we honestly sit here and say that Justin Fields overcomes all the defensive issues that they had? These two games into the season, they had to reshuffle responsibilities on the defensive staff. 
Like, I don't. Yeah. That's ridiculous like, that they have to do that. The two games into the season. I, I, I don't think we downplay it. I just don't think we highlight how ridiculous that is that they had to do that two games into the season. So it, it's that. It's the, the shoulder stuff. And I, maybe we can exclude that because Justin Fields played hurt. So it, sometimes you play hurt. That happens. But there were some structural things that were at C.J. Stroud's disadvantagement that I don't know just because you throw in the ability to run like Justin Fields had, it all of a sudden fixes a lot of these issues because, you know, Ohio State still has to score 50 points every single week in 2021 because the defense is sure going to give up 30 at least every single week. And so and it, it, so that's what makes it so hard is it's almost two different questions. Do you feel like C.J. Stroud as a talent maximizes his ability versus C.J. Stroud, the quarterback, maximize his success at Ohio State? I think you answer the first question, absolutely yes. The second question is where – Thanks to USC losing the Utah in the Pac-12 championship game, it's a TBD instead of an emphatic no. Yeah, and they did need help to get this opportunity to be in the playoff and move forward. I said this right after the game. Are we going to look back and see and say CJ Stroud didn't beat Michigan? Well, I guess that's just a fact. But are we going to look at that and judge that, or are we going to put more of the judgment on Ohio State had C.J. Stroud yep. and could not beat Michigan either year. And I think right now, and I, I said it right after the game, and I'm leaning this way even more, that I feel like that's what's going to be it, – it, it's going to look back and be like, how did they miss that window? How did they miss the opportunity? They They got the quarterback they wanted. They developed him into the quarterback they wanted. They put him on the field with all these talented receivers – and then uh, it just they couldn't do it when they got on the field in the biggest game either year, even in their home stadium. I think that's what's going to be over time. The judgment's going to fall on that side if it hasn't already. So that's where it stands right now. But Ohio State has an opportunity ahead of itself. They're going down to Georgia to play the defending national champion, the number one overall seed in the playoff. And if C.J. Stroud can win just that game, but certainly if you can get on the field and win that game and then win a national championship and, and beating Michigan along the way, I just feel there is such a rewrite of the last chapter of his legacy that's still in front of him. And it's it's true of the whole team. It, it applies to Ryan Day. It applies to every guy who's about to leave this team where this is the end of their career. They're going off to the NFL or they're just done playing football after this year. But especially the guys who are, you know, the, the main guys who are, closing things out here. So I don't know, Zach Harrison, Ronnie Hickman, Paris Johnson Jr., whoever else you want to talk about. A bunch of guys where the the the, the, the last accomplishment is, is still there that they'll be sort of remembered by, but it applies to Stroud the most. How much do you think it changes his standing in Ohio State history? It, 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 I, that's not even the right question because it obviously changes it. But it it might be the difference of whether people want to put him on Buckmore or not. People might say you didn't beat Michigan at all. You didn't actually throw a pass in a playoff game. And these other guys achieved more than that. Like you can't be on that, that, that top four uh, status. And I, I, there's so much still ahead of him to accomplish. He can really change how 
we think of CJ Stroud forever. I'll think of it in the terms of they win a national championship where they also had to beat Michigan in a national championship game. Cause I don't know if just beating Georgia is enough because let's just say they do beat Georgia, but then they lose to Michigan in a national championship game. Well, then he's got three losses to Michigan and the third one was in a national championship game. And that, that I feel like that even makes matters worse. So assuming that's how this plays out. Because I think most people are, su- are assuming that Michigan's going to beat TCU, but hey, not get the Heisman Trophy finalist. We might work up a little bit more magic Listen, out there. Who knows? TCU, what what team in the country has found a way to win games it wasn't supposed yeah. to win more than TCU? I mean, I'm not. I uh, Tyler uh, Tishu was talking about how there's been a lot of sharp money come in on TCU this week because that line was at like nine and a half, I think, when it came mm-hmm. out, and that doesn't surprise me because. I think TCU is the kind of team that is like, well, even if you beat them, you're going to have to, it, it's like the, the horror uh, villain that won't die. Like you have yes. to like stab them and burn them and, and put a grenade in their mouth and like everything oh, else. Like you, yes. they will not die. Yeah. So maybe I think we've all gotten so excited about the idea of an Ohio state Michigan game that, which would be cool. Yes. I think for all of us, whether you're a fan, a sports writer, a player, regardless of your affiliation, that'd be cool. But let's, I, I think we are starting to sleep a little bit on TCU, but this is the world we're going to live in here. The CJ Shaw went to national championship where his path was, I beat the reigning national champions who look like they're getting ready to snatch Alabama spot as the best program in college football. And then I avenged my loss to Michigan. That's worth two losses to Michigan. And this goes from all oh, he had all these stats and none of it mattered to he's clearly emphatically one of the four best quarterbacks in Ohio State history. And what a story that would be. I mean, because that's that's a heck of a story if he accomplishes that. Now, we're a month and a half from him being able to accomplish any of that stuff, but that's what we're looking at here. He's got an opportunity to cement himself as one of the four best quarterbacks in Ohio State history in spite of two losses to Michigan or – Maybe he just loses to Georgia and they got on that playoff stage and they looked like they didn't belong. And we're right back to where we were after the Michigan game where it's like CJ's got all these cool stats and none of it matters. We're going to have a lot to write about. We have a lot to write about down in Georgia leading up to Georgia. It's just there's so much um, legacy on the line in this game, I feel like. And it, it it's going to be. You know, how people think about Ryan Day going into next year changes depending on how that game goes. I think if Ohio State goes down fighting in that game, if they lose to Georgia in Atlanta 38 to 37 on a last second field goal, something like that. I mean, I don't know. Like it, 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 it changes, I think, the how you look at this team a little bit. Um, and I'm, I'm really fascinated by what's going to lead. I'm just excited about these next couple weeks. I think it's going to be fun, and I uh, hope everybody enjoys coming along for the ride. We're going to take another break. We're going to talk about the other part of C.J. Stroud's legacy, which is passing the torch and what we think that's going to look like as far as that, that Heisman Trophy candidacy because it's become sort of a birthright at Ohio State that you have one every year, and who's he passing that torch to? We're listening to Buckeye Talk. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. 
because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I forgot to do this before, Stephen. I looked back at our preseason Mark it down Monday for the Heisman vote. We did all mark it down that Ohio State would have a Heisman Trophy finalist. We really went out on a limb there. We we also asked uh, who would finish higher, Jackson Smith at Jigbo or Trayvon Henderson in the voting. Don't believe either of them were <laughs> involved in the voting. Uh, they did not. Obviously, Jackson Smith at Jigbo couldn't. I mean, only playing three games. And Trayvon Henderson also just very limited this year by injuries. Doug and I both voted Will Anderson from Alabama, number one. You voted C.J. Stroud, number one. So those guys we don't think are going to win. We know Will Anderson was not even a finalist. That was really – and you had Will Anderson, number two. That was like the big Heisman thing this year that just didn't happen. That was like sort of Spencer Rattler you mentioned from a couple of years ago who was like the odds-on guy and then just never materialized. Um, and you know, we ju- remember Justin Fields, the start that he got off to in 2020, it looked like he was going to walk to the Heisman Trophy, and then he didn't end up being a finalist. I think he finished seventh in the voting. But Ohio State – tends to get somebody there. I mean, this is this was the fifth year in a row that they've had someone f- uh, at least finish seventh, and it'll be the fourth time in five years that they've had a true finalist. Dwayne Haskins was third in 2018. Fields was third, and Chase Young was fourth in 2019, and then CJ was fourth last year. So Ohio State first-year quarterbacks under Ryan Day are three for three getting to New York, right? He took over mm-hmm. when uh, they already had a starting quarterback in place when he took over. So Dwayne Haskins in 2018, Justin Fields in 2019, C.J. Stroud in 2021. So is that good news for Kyle McCord and, and or Devin Brown, whoever wins that job going into next year? Or is it – that's sort of the standard right now, right? Like we're, we judge the job that that quarterback does or Ryan Day slash Corey Dennis, but mostly Ryan Day does next year by – whether those guys are flying to New York in this first weekend of this second weekend of December or not. First and foremost, before I attack that, now that we know who won awards, Will Anderson did have an awesome year. It's not I, 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 you threw no, out no. the Spencer yeah. Rattler name. Let's make sure it's he didn't just fall fair. off a cliff. He okay, just fair. wasn't like yeah, yeah, yeah. Heisman. Yeah, you know he he took home three awards last night: the Lombardi Award, the Chuck Benerick Award, yes. and the Gersey Award. So he was really really good this and, year. It's just that's how crazy good you have to be to win the Heisman to even be in the consideration as a defensive player. And he so, will probably, I, I don't, I, I'm pretty right. sure he'll be a, a, a unanimous first team all American. I'm pretty sure. Yes. Yes. So and I, that's I not nothing. We, we, no, it's not. I think we got caught up in maybe this is enough hype this year with Will Anderson. Now, granted Alabama lost two games, so that also doesn't help your case, but it, it he did. He started off slow. So maybe he didn't have enough. So the next time we do see a defensive player in this situation, like he needs to be Will Anderson hype times 30 just in case he gets off to a slow start because, you know, quarterbacks can get off to a slow start and still get back into things here. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm pretty, when we do this market down Monday next summer, I, I've, I'm going to probably have Kyle, whoever wins the job at Ohio State as a, Ohio, as a Heisman Trophy finalist. I probably won't pick him to win it. But yeah, that's how it works here from now on. Is this this offense is set up for you to put up the numbers? It's just set up that way because there's awesome receivers everywhere. The line is usually decent. We'll see with that offensive line. They're going to have to have some 
some portal discussions there, unless some guys really develop over the next couple of six or seven months here. But it, it just everything's going to be in place for Kyle McCord, really to the highest degree, though. It's going to be really similar to what Dwayne Haskins stepped into, where, yes, he's new, but he's been in the system for three years, and all his weapons are old and experienced. Marvin Harrison Jr. and Mecca Abuka and Julian Fleming just spent this past year starting, so they're good to go. And those are going to be the starting three receivers next year, and it's probably Jaden Ballard moving up into a more elevated role. Uh, tight end's a little iffy right now, but at running back, you've got Travion Henderson, Dallin Hayden, and Mayan Williams. It's it's The experience at the skill positions will make up for whatever early season hiccups he has that by the time we get to mid season and they're playing Penn state, I expect Kyle McCord or who or Devin Brown, whichever one wins the job to be rolling by then when we actually start paying attention and caring about who should win the Heisman trophy. So yeah, first year starting quarterback at Ohio state. If you're not a Heisman trophy finalist that year, something went terribly wrong and you might not have the job too much longer. <laughs> so the schedule present some opportunities for, you know, big performances, you know, at Notre Dame. So big performances in marquee games. They play at Notre Dame. They play at Purdue, which is uh, obviously in a coaching transition right now. But depending on who Purdue hires as a coach, that could be a fairly high-profile game. At Wisconsin and at Michigan. Like, their four toughest games of the year, not including Penn State. They play Penn State at home. But, like, their next four toughest games of the year are – on the road. Uh, it's not mm-hmm. an easy schedule necessarily next year. It does. It's not a schedule that leaves a lot of room for error in one of those road situations. Now it's, it's Luke fickle at Wisconsin and who knows what he's going to get started. Although they will have a first time quarterback because Graham Mertz finally got out of there and took his noodle arm to Kentucky. It sounds like, but the question that I have is, are, is he, is CJ Stroud passing the torch to the next quarterback or is he passing the torch to the best player on the offense which is marvin harrison jr i don't think i think at this time next year there's gonna be no question i think it already it's not a question right now like marvin harrison is considered pound for pound one of the best players in college football like either side of the ball all take out all qualifiers he's that good but the question is can he have the kind of it's it's the Devontae smith mac jones paradox it's like you have to have this amazing season as a receiver while also usurping your own quarterback for an award that is typically given to a quarterback and then it sometimes helps if you have like the added bonus of like well yeah he he, you know not only did Devontae Smith have a great year but he had to because Jalen Waddle got him he had to step up and like there's x factors that go into it so I, it's very much on the table that Marvin Harrison can get to New York. I think he has as good a chance going into a year as any receiver that we've talked about. Well, I guess since Jackson Smith the Jigba, but with Jackson, I thought it was going to take the statistical case being super overwhelming. And Marvin makes enough just awesome plays. Not that Jackson didn't, but like Marvin, Marvin's doing it like every week. Like there's yeah. some kind of viral play like almost every week. And I'm wondering if that could be a benefit that maybe his stats don't have to quite reach that same level in order to get into that top four. I mean, it didn't win him the Blitnikoff. So now we're asking no, but- him to win the even more prestigious award. But yeah, I, I know, I know Hyatt's so much of, but so much of what Hyatt did this year was he had five touchdowns against Alabama. 
which to the Hendon Hooker point, that's where Hendon Hooker kind of came though. Was, was his come, coming out party. It was the same thing for Jalen Hyatt, who also Tennessee was without their best receiver. That's what paved the way there. You know, uh, Tillman was out for most of the year. So the question is with that one, it's not even so much usurping your quarterback because Mac Jones probably puts up those numbers anyway that year. Alabama was just stupid good. It's just you probably take a good chunk of what Devontae Smith did and give it to Waddle. So it's a little more equaled out. So Devontae, I mean, Mac Jones probably just wins the Heisman because of that. Cause then nobody usurped the quarterback. So the question with Marvin Harrison Jr. is, is Emeka Buka going to get abducted by aliens? And since you can't really bank on aliens, Emeka Buka had a thousand yards this year. He's only got three less touchdowns than Marvin Harrison. He's only got eight less catches and he's only got about 120 less yards. So they're equal. It's just as your point, Marvin's just, just so loud because it felt like, at least once a game, he was going to do something that made you go, dude, like, how? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. It, but the, yeah. I don't know. He would need both. I think wide receiver, I think non-quarterbacks at this point, it keeps they keep showing us non-quarterbacks, you need both. You need the, oh, my God moment, but you also need to be able to look at the stat sheet and look at these box scores, and every week is ridiculous. So unless Marvin is going to go from 1,100, he's probably going to finish with what, like, if this team wins a national championship, we'll probably be around with 1,400, 1,500 yards and maybe 15 touchdowns this year, just given how this offense is operated, if things yeah. go as planned. So he would need to be – even then, like, uh, Jamar Chase had like 20 touchdowns and 1,800 yards, and it wasn't even a thought in anybody's mind because Justin Jefferson was right there with him, but then also Joe Burrow. That's yeah. more yeah. what I'm thinking of, and I know – it's hard because those numbers were so nasty. So it's not about the numbers. It's the fact that LSU had two crazy good wide receivers. And so everybody just thought, oh, it's the quarterback who's making this happen. And that's what will happen with this situation is if Marvin is around 1,800 yards and 19 touchdowns, I would suspect that Emeka Buka is around 1,400 yards and 12 touchdowns, which goes to both of them are awesome. Look what the quarterback's doing. And that's where you go to Kyle McCord is the one who's the engine behind this and how you get, you know, the quarterback once again winning the Heisman Trophy. So Marvin needs, like, he just needs to be the guy because something happened to his running mate. I don't know. I don't know that it, I don't think that Buka's going to have to, like, miss games in order for him to win. I think so much of it is uh, just the having name recognition, which he has in spades, and having, um, and and also <clears throat> and also uh, just the the other kind of intangible things that we've talked about and the um the, the just those moments like he's a guy that I think is already on on the minds of people just for being a little bit otherworldly at times and it, the campaign for him can start now like he's got at least one game ahead of him against a great defense that if he goes out and shows out in the on the biggest stage. And if you come out of the – if Ohio State beats Georgia and people come out of that game being like, wait a second, I had heard about this Marvin Harrison guy, but now I've seen it? Are you guys kidding me? Like that's very much on the table. It's also on the table that Georgia prioritizes him, limits him, and Ohio State can't win. That's what's kind of great about this game. I think there's it, it's <laughs> going to be a, a fun one to break down and watch. But I, the, the, the campaign can start in the playoff. So – I'm eager to see what he can do against Georgia and if that's something that, that gives him a push into next year. So 
We'll be talking a lot more about that on Buckeye Talk. We will be sending the text. I know we pushed the text a lot recently, but this is a great time to sign up because I think one reason we push it now more than we push it maybe in the off season is because we're very confident in the bang for your buck you're going to get right now. It's it's two-week free trial. It's $3.99 a month after that. That would take you through one month, would take you through the national championship game if Ohio State gets that far. So anything we're hearing about player movement, anything we're hearing about what's going around the team, anything, any just the analysis, the perspective we're trying to give you on the things that are out there, um, all of that comes through the text first before we post it on a website, before we talk about it here. So 614-350-3315 makes a good Christmas gift, makes a good gift for yourself, as I was saying earlier this week. Just wrap it into your, you're already spending all this money on Christmas. Nobody's going to notice $4. Nobody's going to notice it. And it's two it's two weeks for free before that, and you can decide if it's worth it. 614-350-3315. So for Stephen Means, I'm Nathan Baird, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.